that you do. Um, we're going to have a lot of, if you've not learned anything yet, you've figured out that I like to use a lot of scriptures. We, um, we actually had a guy leave our church one time. And you know, as pastors do, when someone leaves your church, you always want to figure out what you did wrong, right? And uh, so I went and visited with him and I said, you know, what did we do? Uh, did we offend you in some way? Or, you know, what can we do better? What can, what can we do better to, to better serve you? And he said, you know, he said, you just use too much scripture. And uh, he said, you know, he said, I, I just need a couple of verses and I kind of want to go away feeling good about myself. And you just use too much Bible when you preach. And, and I said, well, I hope you have a good time. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, so he went on his happy, merry little way. But if you've got your Bible this morning, some of them are going to be on the screen and some of them are not. And so I want you to follow. We're going to be in 1 Timothy a lot today. We're going to be in Titus. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be in Titus chapter 1 a little bit this morning if you'd like to follow along. Um, but before we get started, let's have a, a word of prayer. Father, we love you. You are good and you are holy and you are righteous. You are different. You are the creator God of all things. And as the psalmist said, it blows our minds that you would even consider us. But you have. And we pray as we open the word, the living, breathing word of God this morning, that your spirit would inhabit our praise and it and lead us and guide us into all truth. Teach us the deep things of God. Father, we pray that hearts today would be open and receptive to what you have, not what I have. They don't need to hear from me today, God. They need to hear from you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would fill my mouth with your words and close it if they're mine. We love you. We lay ourselves before you and we just give ourselves to you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was studying, and as you, if you were here last week or if you're joining us online, we welcome you. And maybe you're actually on YouTube this morning. We appreciate that, and thanks for that opportunity to get to do that. Um, I know there's some people out there watching. If you were here last week, you, we started talking about what leadership looks like um, in the church. And we're going to finish that up today. Um, and this week, though, I was asking myself, why? Why do I was asking the Lord? I was like, I really felt strongly about this kind of series that we were on. And and I asked, I said, why? Why is it that you brought me to these texts? Why did you bring me to this subject? And I really was praying about that earnestly this week because I wanted to be able to do Maybe it's the old debater in me from college. I wanted to be able to defend my position, as it were. Not that there's anything wrong with it. You could preach anything in this book and it'd be fine. But uh, I, I wanted to just kind of share my heart with you this morning. Um, you guys have been on my heart this week in a different way. Um, not, in, not bad, not good, just different. And so I've just really been praying for you as a church this week. Um, and I wanted to, to share a few things with you and maybe give you some analogies to kind of help you understand where my heart is. We just came out of Christmas. Um, did anybody, by raise of hands, let's see, did anybody have to put anything together this year? No? One, two. You, got, you know, have some, it has to happen. And uh, sometimes that has to happen. Um, I've still got one that hey, we gave a gift. It's not put together yet. And uh, it was had a little crack in it. we got to fix it, but uh, it's just not done yet. So, uh if you've ever tried to put anything together, anything, whether it's a bicycle, 
a dinner, nachos, whatever. Uh, you need to know how to do it, right? You need a recipe, you need instructions, and if you're like me, I know it's kind of a joke, but for me it literally is always true that there's always something left over. And you're kind of holding this bolt and this piece, and you're like, I don't know where this goes. And it's working fine, so I don't care, right? So we throw it in the trash. But the older I get, the more little kids we've had come up or into the grandparent stage, um, it's important to do things by the instructions, right? And so what I wanted to kind of just give you my heart with is you guys are facing, as a church, as a leadership body, your leadership body is facing an incredibly serious weighty, heavy, wonderful, awesome responsibility of calling in the next phase of leadership into the body. And for the, for the leadership team that I've talked with and the deacons and stuff, I know that they fully understand and fully understand the weight and, and feel the, the import and the, the, the nature of it. I said last week, I wanted to ask you and challenge you, and I asked you not to answer it out loud, but I'm going to ask again. How much prayer have you put in as a person, individually, into who will fill that spot? And so I felt like I just wanted to share my heart with you. The reason that I wanted to walk through these texts, and I believe the reason the Lord put it on my heart, is simply because this is a crucial thing. It is extremely important because the shepherd that will feed the flock on a regular basis or the shepherds that feed the flock on a regular basis will decide the culture, the direction, and the pace and all of that of where the body goes. The shepherds lead the flock. The flock doesn't necessarily know where the water is. The shepherds take the flock to the water. They take the flock to the grazing grounds. They go take care. That's what they do. And so it's extremely important, I think, that we periodically go back to the text and say, what is it that God says for us to do? I want to tell you a story. I, I share and I teach by stories because I can look back over 25 years of ministry and 40 five years. I have to I forget how old I am. Um, at 45 years of being alive, and I can see where God has taught me through experiences that He's brought me through. When I was 19 years old, anybody in here 19? Got any 19 year old, 18, 20s? I see. She's 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 embarrassed. No, you're not 19, brother. Um, <laughs> times a few. Uh, but uh, I was 19 years old. I was raised in church. Raise your hands if you've been in church your whole life. That's a wonderful blessing. And it scares me to death. And let me tell you why. Because I have had to untie and unwrap from around the axle more adults than I can count because they spent their life in church. That's not an indictment on them or even their families, but sometimes that's an indictment on us as people, as, as a global church. At 19 years old, I took my first church. It was in West Central Texas, just north of Abilene in a little town called Stanford, Texas, the Central Baptist Church. I've told you about it. I got out there. I had nothing and no one, no internet. I literally didn't even have a cell phone. There, I don't even know if they were, they might have been bag phones. You don't even know what bag phones are. Look it up. Google it. It's awesome. You'll feel, if you ever get a bag phone, you'll feel like you're in the FBI. It's awesome. And uh, I'm serious. We had nothing. 
And so I started studying the Bible, and I came to a crossroads, and I came to what I like to call a crisis of faith. Anybody ever had a crisis of faith where you're hit with something that makes you challenge, makes you figure out what it is that you really believe? And as I began to do what the only thing I knew how to do, which was study, and I didn't really know how to do that well, I began to learn something happened. I began to figure out, and y'all just don't freak out on me, but I began to figure out that some of the things that I had been taught growing up as the infallible, inerrant will of God weren't in this book. And some of the things that I were taught that was taught out of the book were not taught properly. And so I hit this crisis of faith as a young pastor trying to lead and teach others according to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, uh, it is our flagship verse. What you have learned from us, you commit to faithful men so they can teach others also. And I felt the weight as a 19-year-old young man with a new bride expecting our first child. I felt the weight that these 60 and 70 and 190 something year old saint was looking to me three times a week to rightly divide the word of truth and to prepare the saints for the work of the ministry according to Ephesians chapter 4. And they were looking to me. I was so green and so wet behind the ears I needed a napkin. I didn't know what I was doing. And in fact, we'll talk about this in just a moment. I in fact was probably ordained a novice. Outside, I probably shouldn't have even been there. But God let it happen. But what I found, the crisis of faith, the crossroads that I got to was, what do I do with things that I think I know that I've been taught when I find the Word goes counter to them? That's a heavy, heavy crisis of faith for a young 19-year-old pastor. That's a heavy crisis of faith for an 80-year-old saint. So what do you do? Well, in my youthful ignorance, which I carried quite a bit of until I was about 40, and then I got rid of a little of it, I went and I sat down with my mom. Now, let me tell you about my mom. My mom and my dad raised us in a wonderful home. My dad has been a minister and a deacon, and he's now an interim pastor in Athens. He has been teaching and preaching the Word. He's at least 50 years. Faithful man of God. Giant of a man that stands about five foot two. And raised us up in some traditions that all of a sudden I found out weren't necessarily in line with the text. Not because they didn't understand the text. But here's what happens to us a lot of times in the church. We don't take this book so much as we take what someone has told us this book is and we begin to hang on to it, which is not bad. Please, please hear me out on this. Because if it's right, that's great. That's why I encourage every saint to get in the book. We've got to be Bereans. We've got to be testing it. Just because someone has a degree from a seminary doesn't necessarily mean that they're rightly dividing the word of truth. Just because they don't doesn't mean that they can't. 
What's important is that the Word of God is being sought, it is being read, it is being divided, it is being, it is being questioned. Yes, I said being questioned, because here's the thing that I need you, I just need to throw this out there and give you some permission. God can handle your questions. And God can handle your doubts. I would be lying to you, and I want the teenagers to hear me this. I would be lying to you is if, as a pastor, saint, follower of God, of Jesus, if I told you I never had any doubts about the validity of this book and who God is, I'd be lying. It's happened. I think of, was it Elijah who sat by the brook and, and cherub and just cried, Oh, I'm the only one. And he just doubted everything. And God kind of just patted him and said, No, there's a remnant. It's going to be okay. The Bible talks about he was in despair. I think about the fellow who came and said, Oh, but I believe. Help my unbelief. It's that kind of raw honesty that it takes to really be a follower of Jesus. And, I, and this week, here's what I was really thinking about. Is what can I leave you with over the next few weeks? Not that makes you better at what you're already doing. Not that makes you a better church member, but that would make you closer in your walk to the Creator God of the universe and this Holy Spirit that He gave us. What can I say? And it's simply this. Go into this book and get it all over you. Let it change you. Let the Holy Spirit of God lead you into all truth because here's what happened in my situation. I sat down in my youthful ignorance with my mother who is a faithful teacher of God. And I said, Mom, I found a few things that you guys taught me growing up that uh, they're just not, I can't find them in the text. Not even that they're wrong, I just, I've always, this is what the Bible says, thus saith the word of the Lord, and the, and the Lord did not say. And here's what I told her in my youthful ignorance, and I'm going to stress my ignorance. I said, I have to throw out everything you've ever taught me. I don't believe anything you ever taught me, and I've got to start over. Well, that was dumb. Because that communicated some things to her that I didn't fully understand until my kids got a little older. And what I communicated to her was, everything you've ever taught me was wrong. I don't trust you. I don't trust what you taught me. And you know what? That was true. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was true. Because I found some things that weren't right, I began to distrust everything. Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Okay. As a pastor, I have ministered to people that have come in the back doors of the church on so many occasions that would tell me things like, I haven't been to church in 20 years. And then you start asking questions. Well, why not? Well, because sister so-and-so or brother Gottrocks or whoever did this to me 25 years ago. And what happens is, is when we begin to exalt the church and or the guys standing up here to a place that they do not belong, and we start doing things outside of the way that this book tells us to do them, what happens is, is that the souls of men and women and boys and girls get crushed by the name of Jesus instead of being lifted up and fulfilled by the name of Jesus. Are you all with me this morning? And so it's vitally important to me People ask me, what do you care about? What makes you tick? I see these things on Facebook all the time. Well, how would your friends describe you? I'm scared to death to answer those things. I don't really want to know. Except, I would hope that at some point in time, somebody would chime in and say, well, he just he loves the Lord. 
and he loves this book. If, if those two things would be true, that people thought that, I'd be like, okay, everything else is gravy. One of the most rewarding things that ever happened to me in my life, and I'm going to get into the text, but I want you to understand the importance of where we're headed. When our son was adopted, our first adopted son, we, we were on the news. It was kind of one of those things where he had been on the news. Uh, CBS and Tyler had done a, a, a story on him. We didn't know this at the time, but a few years back. And uh, we adopted him. Well, they showed up to the court to film the thing, and they interviewed all the kids. And for us, that's a bunch. And, uh, you know, everybody, and, and they interviewed him, and they asked him about, on camera, on a live news show, my newly adopted son, they said, tell me what you think about your new dad. And I'm behind the camera going, oh, Lord. <laughs> they just gave this kid a grenade. And I don't remember all that he said, but I know he, I remember one thing that he said. He said, he's a Jesus guy. He didn't even know what that really meant. But in six months' time, what he pulled away from that was he was a Jesus guy. Please hear me. I'm not patting myself on the back. It broke me. My heart, I mean, I was just like, Bleh! I began to just overflow with tears simply because I was in my spirit. The Lord was saying, if you for all that you screwed up, you got that right. <laughs> you communicated that you're a Jesus guy. And so as we look into this text, these texts about what leadership looks like. We're going to talk about a few things. Now, last week we talked about this word presbyteros, the, the word that's translated as elder. We're going to get to today real quickly and briefly this other one called episkopos. There's two words that are used. They kind of mean the same thing, a little bit different, but they're interchangeable. And I want to look at that because here's the thing. These guys, these elders, these presbyters, these episkopos guys, these guys that are doing this work of the episkopos, they are the ones that will feed, that will guide, that will bring the culture of the church. And it is vital that that be taken so seriously. Both by those helping to bring that about and by those carrying that mantle. Because ultimately, they will stand before God and give an account not just for themselves but for how they led you, how they taught. As a 19-year-old pastor, I can remember seeing that text we read a week or so ago about having double honor, especially those who work hard in teaching the, in the Word, and realizing that I'm going to stand before God one day about what I say about this book and what I've taught other people about this book. Does that mean I've always gotten it right? No, that's why 2 Chronicles 16.9 was so transformative for me because what I really need to do is make sure my heart is perfect and fully devoted to the Lord and I'm going to mess it up sometimes, but I need to be open to let Him correct me. And sometimes He does that through somebody. Uh, I may have told you about, like, I used to have an elder that sat right in the seat where you're at and uh, he always followed along and I could always tell when something went weird because he'd go... And then he'd pick his Bible up and he'd... And he'd start flipping through his Bible. And after a couple of years of that, and he would catch me, at, and I knew after service, he'd be in the back, and I'm greeting people. Oh, yeah, you did such a good job. Yes, thanks. And, uh, you know, all of that went on, and he'd be standing at the back like this. Big, huge smile with his Bible open. And I knew it was coming. <laughs> what I do. 
And it might be something simple. It might just, and a lot of times it was, I didn't understand what you were trying to say about this verse. Or here's how I've always read it. What do you think? Oh, this is the way I read it. I don't, I don't read it like you read it. Oh, I, I agree. You're right. And it was these great little moments. And then sometimes he would be standing back there without his smile. And he would look confused. And I knew we were fixing to get into something serious. So I got into a habit when I would see him during the service. And I looked at him, he'd be go, And he'd start flipping. I would just stop. I'd be like, all right, Dan, what are we doing? Right in the middle of Sunday morning service, we would just have a talk. And it turned out to be one of the most incredible, informative, transformative things in my ministry. Because what would happen is somebody else would go, I was wondering the same thing. I just didn't want to say anything. And what that did was that built a culture of people who, if I lost them during the Sunday morning service and they got lost, you know what they do? I'd see a hand go up in the back. And they'd say, could you do that again? Oh, sure. I might not get through with my notes. That's okay. If you've noticed, I never get through with my notes. Ever. There's 66 books here to cover. There's no way. Okay? But people be, and it's, why are you telling that? Because it was a culture from the leadership of which he was a member that cultivated, this is not just about checking off my Sunday morning I did my thing thing. This is about growing and learning in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and becoming more like Jesus. Because here's what I want us to understand. If you put Jesus on that end of the building and and Hitler on that side of the building and yourself somewhere on a continuum in the middle, we're all closer to that guy than that guy on our own. Are you with me? Our job is to allow the Holy Spirit to walk us this way on the line to become a pure reflection of who Jesus is. And if we're not doing that, we might as well go home. Because everything that we do is useless unless we are seeking to be more like Him. We've got to be more like Him. And so this leadership thing is so vital. In James chapter 5, here's where I stopped last week was with 1 Peter chapter 5. Do I still have 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 on the slides? She says, yes. He says, I, so as your fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. What verse is that? Am I in the right spot? As one who shares in the glory that we revealed, I urge elders among you. Yes, I'm in the right spot. Okay, give a shepherd, verse 2, give a shepherd's care to God's flock among you exercising oversight, not merely as duty, but willingly under God's direction, not for shameful profit, but eagerly. And do not lord it over. And then I wanted to jump to James chapter 5. What does it look like to be an elder? A presbyteros is where we're still at. A leader within the church of God. In James chapter 5, I've told you this story about how we've done this before. Is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders of the church and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. It's biblical. Here's what I want you to also understand, church member. Look right at me. Your elders do not have ESP. They do not always know that you are sick. I had a lady call me one time on a Monday morning, mad as a hornet. Because she had gone into the hospital on Thursday. She had spent two nights in the hospital. And I didn't call her or come see her. She was livid. And she said, I can't believe you didn't come see me in the hospital. And I said, well, I didn't know you were in the hospital. Why didn't you call me? And she said these words, you're just supposed to know. (laughs) They didn't teach me that. 
<laughs> and I took her to this verse. And I said, I love you dearly. I would have been there the night you went in. And I would have brought some of the guys with me. And we would have anointed you with oil and prayed for you that you may be healed. But folks, your elders don't have ESP. You've got to... It's, the, the onus in James 5 is not on them. The responsibility is on the one that's sick to say, Hey, I'm sick. Come help me. you got to come help me. And you know what? Then the responsibility goes back on the leadership to go, We're on our way. For 25 years, except for one brief stint, I've always been in bivocational ministry. You know what that means? That means you work a full-time job and you do a ministry, which means you've got two full-time jobs. And so when somebody says to me, we just didn't have time, I just laugh. I have seven children. I work 40 to 50 hours a week, and I've been pastoring a church somewhere for the last 25 years. It takes, as leadership, you've got to make the commitment to say, when sister calls at 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, and they're on their way to the ER, you kiss the wife, you hug the kids, you tuck them in bed, and you get on the road and you go. Because that's what it means to give a shepherd's care to the flock. Because James 5 says, I need you. And here's the deal. I wrote this in a, blog, a Facebook post the other day. When you love someone with the love of Jesus, self-sacrifice is not that hard. Amen. It's not. You ever loved somebody enough? You said, I'd give my right arm for you. I'd give my life for you. That's the love we're supposed to have for each other. Amen. All of us. And I want to tell you that your leadership loves you this morning in that way. You'll notice in all the passages that we've talked about, and I'll, I'll just kind of drop this out there and we're going to move by. The term presbyteros that we're talking about are almost always the episkopos, the elders. They're almost always existent in a group. Not as a single. There's a reason for that. Because the, the church doesn't need a king. She has one. You follow me? So many times I've been into churches in my, in my experience where the church has a king. And they call him the pastor sometimes. Sometimes they'll call him something else, but the church has a king. The church doesn't need a king. The church has a king. What the church needs is leadership that follow the king. My brother Tim, who couldn't be here this morning, tells of when he was in the Marine Corps. Anybody in here military, raise your hand if you served any time in the military. You'll understand this. And if you're not in the military, stay with me. I've shared this with you, but it's important. As a, as a staff sergeant or a non-commissioned officer, he would have a platoon under his charge, and he would be given a document. And it was called something that I can't remember, but basically it was simply this. This is the commander's intent. Here's all the things the commanding officer wants to happen. And he really doesn't care outside of what's been outlined in the document how you perform that as long as the result is the same. We have a document from the commander that tells us his intent. And outside of this, a lot of times, if our heart is perfect towards the Lord and he's given us strong support, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, he says you've got some freedom to do it as long as you're following the commander's intent. Because the intent is that all men and women, young boys and girls, would hear the gospel and be saved. And not just, you realize that's not our primary goal? <gasps> Don't walk out. It's part of our goal. But the ultimate goal, if you go to Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, says nothing about making converts. You realize that? 
The Iranian church pastor that I love to quote the most, he says the difference between their church in the East and the churches in the West is we make converts in the hopes that they'll be discipled. He says we make disciples so that one day they might be converted. That's different, y'all. That's different. Because what that means is, is we're going to have to shoulder up with people that don't get it for a while. And they're going to do dumb things. And they're going to mess it up. But we got to love them so that they can be converted. Because Jesus said, don't go out there and let them say a prayer. That's not what He said. He said, you go teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. You teach them to be obedient. I'm not saying that salvation is a... Somebody, right now I can feel it in my spirit. Somebody's like, well, you're talking about work salvation. No, I'm not. What did Jesus say when they said, Jesus, where are you staying? What did He say? Come and see. What are we supposed to do, Jesus? He said, you come with me and walk with me. You come sit where I sit, eat where I eat, do what I do. And the disciples themselves, the twelve, didn't even believe all the time. It's okay. I want to give you permission this morning to question God, have doubts, but I will not give you permission to not listen to His answers. Because He can handle your questions. When I took my baby daughter off the, the ventilator, and I knew or the day before I was going to have to take her off the ventilator, and I went out and I prayed, and I, I really was preparing my heart for her to die. I went out in the pasture and I screamed and I yelled at God. I'm not saying that's a great thing to go do, okay? But I'm just saying. I was just real with Him because I didn't understand what was happening. And guess what? His glory was not reduced. His power was not diminished. But what He did do is He, he scooped me up like a dad. And He's like, I know, buddy. I know. I know I get it. Trust me. Just trust me. And he wrapped his arms around me and he loved on me. And if you've ever held a kid that's mad at you, they don't always calm right down immediately, do they? One of my sons used to go into, when he was a little bitty guy, he used to go in these fits of rage that would take 45 minutes to an hour sometimes to resolve. And we would sit in the floor with him wrapped in a basket hole and him screaming and fighting us until finally he would literally pass out and just go to sleep. And then he'd wake up and he'd be fine, the sweetest soul on the earth. I don't know what got into him, but he had to figure that out. But you know what? I didn't love him any less while I was hanging on to him, Amen. saying it's going to be okay. And I, he would say, I don't love you. I knew he didn't mean that because I was looking at his heart. And if I can do that with my son, how much more can God do that with us? And that's why it's so, it's so important as you guys are looking, searching, and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to lead you in a direction for leadership that will come in and serve in this position of elder. To look past the resume. Look past the credential. And look into the heart. Don't answer this. How many of you have thought about some questions you have for him? If you're used to doing that sort of thing, you probably have a few. How many of those questions have anything to do with what he thinks about this book and his theology? Or, or are they about where have you been? 
tell me about your high school. All of that may be relevant, but you know what's really important? Is how that fellow's gonna see this book. And where, how he's gonna move y'all from this side of the continuum to that one. That's what's important. Does he have the heart of a shepherd? In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Bible says, Watch out for yourselves, for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Here it is, to shepherd. The word shepherd is poimino, which means to feed the flock. John chapter uh, 21, if you want to go read that later, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, it talks about this. When you, the feeding of the flock of God, the primary understanding is, is the dividing of the word of truth and the feeding of the word of God out. It says in that text, to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. Jesus shed his blood for the church of God. It's important and precious to him. And I don't mean the building. I mean you. You're the church. Whether this building, y'all went through the tornadoes a while back. The building survived. But had it not, so what? It did not, it would not have, there were churches all over the place. You look every year, some church gets hit by something and is wiped out. You'll go ask them on the coast when the, when the uh, hurricanes hit. Church is getting flooded out. That has nothing to do with the church. Those are just buildings. And so this person, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 2, the Bible says the overseer m then must be above reproach. Now, I'm going to say something here. They keep telling me not to watch my clock, but I have to. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, The overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and an able teacher. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We see very similar in, in Titus chapter 1, which we'll get to. Let me touch on these things. Here's the system that we have, and I'm going to tell you, you have a hard job in front of you. And here's why. Because we have a system that we operate in. We need a pastor. We need leadership. So what happens? A flood of resumes, names, people on Facebook, even some weird ones, I'm sure, come flooding in. We want to be the guy. We want to be the guy. We want to be the guy. It's really hard to know somebody that you don't know if they're above reproach. It's hard. So the Holy Spirit better be involved because He's going to know things you don't know. What does it mean to be above reproach? That means wherever He came from might have something to say. You know, when you hire a principal or a superintendent at a school and they become what's called the lone finalist, you know what happens? 30 days before they're hired, as you may know, they go in the paper. They put their name in the paper and it says, if you know any reason why we shouldn't have hire this person, please call us. Now, nine out of ten times, it's a formality. Let me tell you how we used to pick, uh, we used to appoint elders. We didn't vote on elders uh, in the church I was pastoring. They were appointed by the other elders because we could know these things about them. But here's what we did. When we had somebody that we trained up and we thought they were ready to serve as an elder on, in our group, we would put their picture up or bring them up, give their testimony out of the congregation, and we would say, you've got 30 days from today. If there's any reason that you know of, if this, if this dude's a shyster in, in his business, we need to know about it. If he's doing things, beating on his wife, we need to know about it. If he's talking ugly and nasty out in the community, we need to know about it because we haven't seen it. But for 30 days, we would open the doors and say, if you know anything about this cat that we need to know, you come let us know. 
You want to talk about vulnerability. <laughs> they did that to me. And there were some people that came forward and said, he's crazy. I ain't going to lie to you. But they weren't biblical things. They were just like, oh, he, they don't like my personality. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are unethical, immoral, illegal. It's important to be above reproach. And you've got to know somebody. The next one is the husband of one wife. Well, that's hot debate, isn't it? Does that mean one at a time? Does that, I'm dead serious. That's, that's, the official, that's usually the official church. That just means one at a time. And I understand, I'm on, I understand the water I'm standing in on that subject. I get it. But you know what? It's important. And I will also say this. Every situation is different. It is. I can tell you, and I can take you to Scripture and tell you there's at least two, the second of which is a little bit more sensitive and a little bit more harder to get to than the first, reasons that the Scriptures will say that it's all right. Infidelity is pretty solid. If a spouse cheats on another spouse, the, the uncheating spouse is released from that marriage and, and can still... Can, can a man who's been divorced and remarried be an elder? Sometimes. It depends. You know my answer to everything just about that everybody always asks me, can you do this or that? I always say, it depends. <laughs> Almost always. Except for where the book says yes or no. If the book says yes or no, that's pretty cut and dry. No. Because this. But most of the time it's, well, it depends. Can you eat the showbread out of the temple? Well, it depends. Jesus did. David did. It depends. You get what I'm saying? It says he must be temperate. You know what that means? Temperate and self-controlled. I'll put those together for sake of time. It means if he's losing, if, if there was a disqualification in my own life that would creep up from time to time, it would be this one because I'm red-headed. That's no excuse. How many of you don't answer this out loud because I don't want to embarrass you? Have you ever looked at your, or told someone else, well, that's just the way that I am. Like it or lump it. Let me tell you, that's fine. That's great. Unless the way you are violates how God says you're supposed to be, then it's not okay. We need to change. Let me tell you what, I am hardwired to get hot fast. And you'll always know it because I don't have any hair. My whole head turns maroon. It just happens. And my wife will reach over sometimes and she'll put, she puts her hand on my arm. That's all she's got to do. And that's my signal to breathe. Because the way that I'm wired is antithesis to the way God has called me to be. Amen. And here's the other thing is on these qualifications. I don't ever want you to be sitting out there and go, oh, well, I'm not trying to be a pastor, so these don't apply to me. Wrong. I'm not trying to be in spiritual leadership. The qualifications of a spiritual leader apply to everyone. What the Scripture is saying is be double sure that your leadership hold them. But there's an admonition to all of us to seek them to be temperate. That means if you're prone to anger, the Bible says put it away. Oh, that's a, I wish that wasn't in there. I really do. I wish he'd open that door for us because I would be like, righteous anger, yeah! No, he doesn't do that. He used to be self-controlled. Can I be honest with y'all real quick? I guess I can. Nobody's going to stop me, I guess. But... uh. The reason I'm on a diet right now. It's inappropriate for me to preach and teach about self-control if I'm not practicing it. 
It's the truth, guys. I used to have an elder. I lost 30 pounds. I've gained some, a bunch of that back over the last couple of years. And, I, and I, one day he came up. He said, man, he said, you, you're doing good. He said, looks good. And he says, did you know, I want you to know, my wife and I have been praying for you for two years. And I said, why are you been praying for me? He said, because we realize you're getting a little heavy. And at first I was like, you sorry dog. <laughs> but can, I'm, I'm just being real with you all this morning. But you want to know how special that means I am to him? He didn't have to. He didn't wave at my face. I didn't even know it. He just knew that I needed some spiritual help with my self-control. That's all it is to it. I needed to say no to donuts. Say no to donuts. <laughs> Unless they're at church. <laughs> Once a week's cheat day. Sunday's cheat day. But that, that's just the honest truth. I'm just being real with you. Because as a leader in the church, we have to practice self-control. That means that on my phone... There are other people who have access to software on my phone that they can see what I see on my phone. Amen. It's called accountability. Because I need to practice self-control. How do you know that about somebody? It might take a while. Then it says he's hospitable. You know what that means? What he has is yours. Amen. His home is open. His pocketbook is open. His heart is open. Except for this one guy that I always knew that would never loan me his tools. <laughs> Ever. But you know what he would do? I'd say, hey, can I borrow your saw? And he said, nope. And I was like, hey, the Bible says if you have it in your hand, you're supposed to give it. And he said, you can't have my tools, but I'll come do whatever you need done. You just can't take my tool because you'll never bring it back. He was true. <laughs> he was right. But he would come. And then it says to be an able teacher. I'm going to draw me a line right there. You'll notice that being an able teacher is the last in the list. What we tend to do is put that first. And I want to tell you why. Because that's important. But I also want to tell you this. Somebody can be a great teacher and his heart not be perfect towards the Lord and it'll get you in trouble. There are some charlatans out there that are awesome speakers. But they don't preach this book. And they're fun to listen to. I kind of like them sometimes. Because I like to go, that ain't right. But you said it awesome. That's why it's important for the church of God to be Bereans. Because God lays some qualifications down. Hear, hear me now. On everybody. And you know what's interesting? Is when a church body local. And the church universal begins to build these principles and qualifications into this group and into this group, then someday you get to go, and I, didn't, I haven't gotten to this yet, but when Paul told Titus, what Paul told Titus to do was he says, I'm going to leave you there to put things in order. And then I want you to appoint elders in every town. That's how they did it. He went into the group found somebody that was worthy that had been brought up and some, sometimes they had to stay and train them. And then when they did that, they appointed them and they left. In business school, I've got a degree in business. I've been in the business world my whole life. And here's what they teach you if you're in business. First day on the job, if you're in management, you need to be looking through your replacement. And you train your replacement all the time. Because you might get sick, you might die. Or you might want to get promoted and you need somebody, you need to put your baby in the hands of somebody that can handle it, right? We understand that. 
Why is the church no different? Why, why is it that we don't... We, what's our program? I always ask churches this. What's your program to bring up the next level of leadership? Yeah. What's the program? I don't just mean teaching. I'm talking about here's what we used to do. And I don't know that it was wildly successful, but it's what we did. I, I will tell you this, that the guys we did it with are walking in leadership uh, and doing it well. As we would identify by prayer, and if you'll notice in the script, we didn't get to this text yet, but by prayer and fasting. They fasted. If we need leadership, so what we're going to do? We're going to fast and pray until God tells us what to do. But we would take young men in the congregation that we had identified, whoever they were, sometimes they were teenagers, early, late teenagers, and we would start inviting them in. What do you mean by that? Well, we would intentionally hook them up with somebody and we would make sure well, we had some stuff that we went through that they knew the basics of the fundamental basics of the faith. Made sure. A lot of times they already did. That's why they were standing out to us because they were walking in it already. But we just theologically would begin to train them. We would make them memorize Scripture. We would teach them how to study the Bible. Here's how you do it. And then we would invite them into meetings as silent observers for a period of time. You don't get to talk. You don't get to vote. You just get to watch. And then after a while, they at least, and without a day, they come out going, I had no idea. Y'all have to worry about all of that. <laughs> yes, sir. We have to worry about all of that. And sometimes our meetings would take three hours because there was so much important stuff like prayer, people hurting, families, the Word that we would pay attention to that you can't get to the other stuff, which if you want to go read ahead of us, which I didn't get to today in Acts chapter 6, is the reason that deacons even exist in the first place. Deacons didn't always exist. They started in Acts chapter 6 because there were some widows that were not getting taken care of. Go read it. We're going to get there eventually. <laughs> but those young men would come out and with their eyes this big, I can't believe and some of them would be like, I don't think God's calling me to this. And I would say, then you're probably right. Because the Bible says not many of you should be teachers. In that respect. But it also says if you seek that office, it's a good thing. And so some of them would be like, I think, I think God, I'm scared to death, but I think God's bringing me into this. And maybe after a year, 18 months, we would start bringing them in a little bit more. And then maybe somebody would say, I'm going to take a two-year break. And, and then they come in. And guess what? Perpetual leadership. That's how it works. That's the 2 Timothy 2.2 model. It's in the book. If you're going to put together a bicycle, you better look at the instructions. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you this with this. The Creator God of all things. His Spirit, if you're a believer, lives in you. And he told the disciples, you're, and when he was doing all these miracles and crazy things, you know what he told them? You're going to do even greater things. And I said, oh, well, I'm just a, I don't know, none of, your, none of these guys have said this, but I, I knew a guy one time, he would always say, oh, I'm just a deacon. And I would always take him to Stephen. You know the guy that was stoned, the first martyr? The Bible says about him that he was full of, by the way, in Acts 6, you'll see the, to be that, the Bible says you have to be full of the Holy Spirit. But Stephen was preaching the word like a crazy man. Doing signs, miracles, and wonders. Under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. According to the book. As a deacon. 
He was a leader, a ferocious lover of Jesus. We'll get to that later. But I want to encourage you, not only this, don't ever think of yourself as just anything. You're not just anything. You are a blood-bought child of the living God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God with all the power and authority that that brings with it underneath His kingship. So I want to just encourage the stuffings out of you this morning. Everything you have, or excuse me, everything you need to shepherd well, you already have. Proceed with caution. Let's stand. Father, we love you this morning. Oh God, you are so good. You are so holy and you are so righteous. I'm thankful this morning that the word holy just means other than. You're just different. God, let us aspire to be like you. Father, I pray that you would take these feeble ramblings of mine this morning and impress on someone's heart how good and great you are and how, how much you want to prosper us in your kingdom, not in ours. Oh God, take these words. Help us to be, every one of us, seeking and striving to fulfill these credentials. And where we find that we don't match up, Father, I pray for repentance. I pray you would grant me repentance when I need it. Father, I pray that you would grant us all repentance, that our hearts would be turned towards you first and foremost. I want to thank you, God, in public. Thank you for the leadership that you've brought to this place, that you've empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you for their love and their heart for this, this flock. God, it is a testimony to their heart for you. And I'm asking you, Father, to do what you said you would do, and I know you will, and that's give them a strong support because their hearts are fully devoted. Thank you, God, for them. Father, we love you and we praise you. I want the name of Jesus to be exalted today, that you will draw men and women to yourself. Father, if there's anybody here today that could honestly say, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus, that today they would... Do what you said, which is come and see. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would sit on their heart and their soul today and realize this is not about saying a prayer, but it is about following the King. Father, help us today. Help us. Grant us repentance for who we are, broken, so that we can become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all join us as we sing.